0: Hey everybody, it's Trax, and it's Wednesday, May 1st. Yes, the fifth month of the year is here. Time for episode 296 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Patriots wound up taking 10 players in the 2019 Players Selection Meeting in Nashville, also known as the NFL draft. Here to break it all down for the next half hour or so, if we want to run on a little longer, I don't think anybody's going to kill us for that, is one of the most detailed analysts out there. It was my pleasure to share a uh, Gillette Stadium workroom with him and with Alex Barth. Welcome, CLNS Media colleague Evan Lazar once again. You survived, Alex, for three days, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty tough there for a little while. The Patriots took a punter in the fifth round. I almost lost it. Alex thought it was amazing. You know, it it was was great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if Alex really thinks it was great taking competition to – one of the best punters the Patriots have ever yeah. had. I got to question that.
1: No, no, he he was uh, he was with me on that. He, uh, you know, we had a great time though. I think he we calculated it, and we were on a broadcast or on a video for like over nine hours over the weekend. So it nine was
0: also, nine yeah. hours.
1: Yeah. So you know, between the live streams and the videos on the YouTube page, Clns Media YouTube page, by the way. Uh, you can find it all there. It, it was a whole lot of uh, talk of you know draft prospects and football, which you know I love. So it was great.
0: You know where else you can find five minutes and thirty six seconds of it on <laughs> IGTV. <laughs> I even went there and made the boss, uh, the boss's boss, happy, uh, getting some uh, live Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. Draft Talk up on Instagram uh, TV. You can check it out uh, on the CLNS uh, Media Facebook page. It's linked there. Uh, But you can also check it out on my uh, Instagram, uh, Trags1. Go there and check out my IGTV channel. And it is five and a half minutes of – it starts off, by the way, uh, Evan, you talking about the Patriots going off the reservation for a particular pick – Let's just start there. The pick that went off the reservation was
1: y- Yelda Froholt. So yeah, so it, it's actually interesting. So, so Yelda, you know, I obviously did my research after that. I didn't do go too deep into guards when I originally did uh, my rankings, just because you know thinking that they were pretty set there. And uh, and it turns out that you know he was one of the better pass protectors in college football last year for Arkansas, who had a pretty tough year. I mean, that Arkansas team, you know, some years they're good, some years they get really beat up by the competition in the SEC. And Yelda, though, pretty much held his own against all of the really good defensive lines in the SEC. He had a pretty good game against Quentin Williams in Alabama where, you know the other four fifths of the offensive line are caving around him, and he was you know staying uh, strong and and taking care of his assignment, which is great to see. You know even in all the trash of what everything else that was going on around him, his game never slipped, and he didn't let his game kind of come down to the rest of his his teammates at the time. Really, so I, I thought that was great news. But he's a he's a big kid. He's six foot five, three uh hundred and ten pounds, which is you know obviously a very tall guard. Uh, usually those those big guys are out at tackle. And, uh, you know, he didn't play tackle in college, but he reminds me a little bit, you know, from a scouting perspective of Joe Tooney when Joe Tooney was coming out of college, you know, same very light feet, uh, bigger guy for a guard. Uh, athletic can move pretty well and has a nice, strong, sturdy base to him. Good, decent enough core strength, I think. It's not really a people mover in the run game. You know, he's not gonna, he's not Shaq Mason. He's not gonna, you know, finish run blocks and really, uh, you know, move people off the line of scrimmage, so to speak. But if you ask him to pull or get to the second level or get out in front of screens or anything like that, he's capable of doing all those things. So I think that this is, you know, short term or, or even long term a play to you know have a very good reserve interior lineman that can play all three spots kind of what Ted Karras has given them over the last couple of years I think there's a good chance that they might think that after this year Ted Carris's contract is up he might get a little bit of money in the free agents uh pool to maybe buy at least for a starting job in a training camp so They might let him walk and have Yelda as the kind of swing guard. I like to call it a guy that can play all three spots of the future. And if they don't end up paying Joe Tooney, I think that he has a chance to take over at left guard if they don't move Isaiah Wynn there eventually, you know, down the road as well.
0: Here's what uh, PFF, Pro Football Focus, uh, said about Froholt. A Danish guard that thrived in pass protection was a steal for the Patriots at pick 118. What I think yeah. is interesting there, uh, Evan, is, and we've said this ad nauseum about the Patriots, they value value, right? I yeah. Mean, and if they feel like they can get a guy at 118 who should have gone in the top 75, they're all over that. And, and yeah. to boot, uh, he is, as you just spent a couple of minutes, uh, detailing, a very versatile, uh, offensive lineman. And obviously with Dante Scarnecchia still there, uh, and Belichick, uh, you know, still around, the Patriots are always going to place a premium on uh, versatile uh, offensive linemen, and especially seeing as though, you know, the Patriots were pretty lucky last year, but there have been seasons where they have been shorthanded for a game or two or three or four, and they need somebody to go back and forth between positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is, you know, a lot of people are like, how many offensive linemen do they really need? And the point is, is, you know, you kind of need a backup at least for every spot, maybe even two, maybe not on the interior, but at tackle, you usually carry, you know, four tackles and then maybe another one on the practice squad or something like that. And, you know, the key is, is over the years, I want to use Ted Karras as an example, because he's been really good in this role. When someone goes down and, you know, Joe Tooney hasn't missed much games, but David Andrews and Shaq Mason have missed, you know, a game here or there or something like that or have had to come out mid game and they've just kind of put Tooney in into that spot, whether it's at center or guard and they haven't really missed a beat as a result. You know, he's played very, very well in those kind of like spot starts and, and also, you know, in emergencies when someone gets hurt. That's pretty valuable, you know, for the team that, they can kind of plug and play somebody like that and they're not going to lose, you know, the entire integrity of the offensive line and everything doesn't kind of, you know, fall apart just because one guy gets hurt. So I think that that's, you know, a kind of a strength of the Patriots team and drafting Yadni Kajust and Yelda, I think was to make sure that that strength continues to be a strength.
0: Yeah, and I was. We'll touch very briefly on this because I know everybody doesn't want thirty minutes of offensive lineman talk. (laughs) uh, Why not? Except offensive linemen listening to this. Um, But uh, Yadny Kajust uh, was one of the key protectors for Will Greer uh, for the last several years at West Virginia. What did you like about him? His size. Um, at West Virginia, that made him uh value at one oh one I know he had a touring quad, and that was a big, big reason why he slipped down into the triple digits.
1: yeah, he had a torn quad and then in two thousand and sixteen he tore his aCL so he 's had basically missed like a year and a half of football uh, during his time at West virginia so When you almost miss two full seasons, obviously you're gonna kinda, your stock is gonna go down a little bit. But he was healthy last year for the most part, I believe, and he is one of those guys I think that has a really great combination of athleticism and foot speed and explosiveness out of his Stance when you watch tackles I think that I try to look for is how much depth do they get out of their, out of their stance in their, what's, you know, called their kick slide, their initial kick slide. And that is really key because at the NFL level, you know, these guys that are ri- lined up across for them are, are really going to get off the ball really quickly and turn the corner really quickly if you let them. So it's a game of angles. You know, I remember talking to Trent Brown about this last year. He just said, you know, simply like, it's really as simple as keeping myself in between Tom and the guy rushing Tom, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it doesn't sound too complex, but it's really, you know, to boil it down to its simplest terms. So when you can get out of your stance as well as a guy like yadni Kajus can, you can play those angles really well and you can cut off the angle and force guys to go through you. And then he's pretty good with his hands too, you know, when, when he does what's called independent hand usage where he could use both bull- both hands independently doesn't have to always have one consistent two-handed punch, which is something that the Patriots and, and Scar likes to do a little bit to, you know, be able to counter and, and do other things. So if a, if a guy does get into somebody's chest, you can counter it with, you know, a club or, or something like that. So I think that those are all great things that I see from him. I think on the tape. You know, he's a pretty physical guy. He's got a strong upper body. He can run block, too, even though they didn't do, you know, a ton of running at West Virginia in a kind of shootout, you know, run-and-gun type offense in, uh, you know, an air raid system. But at the same time, I think he can run block a little bit. And I think, the you know, the biggest thing, though, that that stands out to me, and I said this, you know, over the weekend, was that if you protect, you know, if they trusted you to protect Will Greer in college, uh Guy that went in the third round of Carolina, but was well thought of by a lot of people and was kind of like a franchise quarterback, if you will, for West Virginia, then they must have trusted him a lot to leave him on the blind side like they did. So I think that that's, you know, really great news for the Patriots and a guy that I think has potential. At least to maybe be the starting right guard, uh, right tackle, excuse me, uh, down the road if Marcus Cannon, you know, is getting up there in age, and and I hope, you know, I'm saying that because I hope that Isaiah Wynn is going to, you know, kind of take the left tackle job by by storm here in the training camp.
0: Yeah, and that is uh, the working assumption. Speaking with. Evan Lazar, uh, CLNS Media, Patriots and NFL expert, and I don't say that lightly. If you just listen to Evan speak and talk on football for five minutes, you pretty much know that already. All right, uh, this is the prime topic of conversation and, and will be, I think, for a good portion of training camp. What about Jarrett Stidham uh, out of Auburn? And I remember when I was in the uh, draft room with you guys, or uh, in the media draft room, I should say, make that clear, uh, <laughs> um, that you guys weren't particularly big fans of uh, the Auburn quarterback, uh, but he did, uh, was a Patriots fourth round selection. And one thing that uh, stuck out to me uh, about what Nick Casario had to say about him late Saturday night was the fact that he is a very, very bright quarterback and that the patriots are going to ask him to do some things differently uh at the nfl level than he did in college. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, at college and Gus Malzahn's system is a very option-heavy system down there at Auburn. They run a ton of RPO type elements and other kind of pistol type stuff where they're running options, you know, uh, not necessarily like old school triple options, but mostly RPOs and that really, you know, entails a quarterback most of the time that can run. That is, you know, not, and, and Stidham isn't a horrible athlete. He's an average NFL athlete for the quarterback position, but he's certainly not a, a running quarterback by any means. So when that system, you know, it's called Cliff Kingsbury, the Cardinals coach who kind of is one of the poster children of, of these kind of college air raid systems, said that, you know, he likes to play 11 on 11 instead of 11 on 10, meaning that the quarterback is one of those 11 players that can make plays with his legs. So Stidham isn't that type of guy, so he's a little bit miscast in, I think, the Auburn offense, and they really didn't alter it much to kind of fit his skill set which is mostly a pocket passer with maybe a little bit of athleticism to like roll outside of the pocket on like a, a designed bootleg or a designed uh, action where he's moving uh, to his right but certainly not a quarterback like let's say Kyler Murray who can just take off and, and create with his legs.
0: So we're going to see a lot of him in preseason and, and I think uh, and certainly in the, uh, I would assume, um, joint practices in the first two, yeah. se- uh, first two weeks um, of the preseason, uh, Detroit and Tennessee, I believe, are the two preseason road games. And I think there's a good uh, likelihood that uh, we'll have joint practices announced. And I think that is a great time uh, for Stidham to uh, learn what the Patriots expect of him.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with him, the reason why, you know, when they made the pick that I wasn't too gung-ho about it is because – accuracy-wise and ball placement-wise, I you know, I I do a little bit of charting myself, but I also rely on others, you know, just to confirm what I'm seeing. And he was one of the least accurate quarterbacks down the field in 2018 in this class. And really, in some people's charting, he was even more inaccurate than Tyree Jackson, which is, you know, hard to believe. Yeah,
0: let me stop you right there because you put out a couple of tweets that – were, I thought, spot on in terms of detailing his struggles with accuracy. And one, uh, two yeah. of them were sideline outs where he yeah. was, he was under some pressure, but not a ton of pressure. And they were just badly missed on the outside. And those are passes you got to make at the NFL level when the, when the receiver's wide open. I mean, the, the Auburn receiver was wide open on the sideline yeah. and he missed them bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, On drive throws, you know, throws like outs or hitches or anything like that. On deep throws, his accuracy was all over the place. He missed a couple of wide-open receivers down the field on on deep throws. It's certainly not an issue of, of arm strength. He's got an NFL arm. It's an, and he's really got some nice arm talent in general, and arm talent usually means a good arm down the field, you know, a cannon, but also the ability to throw a touch when it's needed. So he actually has both of those things. He, he throws a nice ball, and I think that that's where the Patriots probably started, other than the mental stuff, was that he has one of the tightest spirals of any of the quarterbacks in this class, and he throws a really nice catchable pass. The, the thing about Stidham, though, with his accuracy, you know, it is all over the place certainly in 2018. But you mentioned his like kind of miscasting in, in the Auburn offense, and I think that context with him is extremely key with his entire evaluation. And something I asked Nick Casario about in, in afterwards when they after after they picked him, I said, you know, how much do you take into account what prospects did before last season? So, for example. With Stidham, his 2017 was much, much better than his 2018 at Auburn. He was a much better quarterback, a much more accurate quarterback, much more comfortable in the pocket. This year, he really started to get skittish in the pocket and leave some pockets a little bit too prematurely and not feel comfortable behind his offensive line. He actually even admitted to it when we spoke to him on the conference call and You know, Casario basically said that you look at it, what they did most recently is the most relevant, but you look at those past performances as kind of like signs of what potential peak performance could be. You know, what he could potentially be if all the Ducks line up in a row, and he turns into the guy that he was, well, actually at Baylor before he transferred to Auburn— and then Auburn in 2017, after his Baylor years, he transferred at Baylor uh, after all that stuff came down with, uh, with the program kind of going up in flames. And he transferred from Baylor to Auburn. And after that, 2017, it really fell apart. But from 2016 and 2017, he was considered by a lot of people to be one of the top quarterbacks in this year's class. And then his 2018 was just disastrous. So the Patriots, in my mind, are... I wouldn't say banking on, but I think they're hoping that with in the right scheme, with the right coaching, with a good supporting cast, with a good offensive line, they can get 2017 or 2016 Jared Stidham out of this pick, and that's a guy that has the potential to start down the road.
0: Besides, and speaking with Evan Lazar, uh Patriots and NFL uh, reporter for CLNS Media, follow him on Twitter at EZ Lazar, that's E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. And, uh, I want to get to, um, your thoughts on why this is not Danny Etling, uh, beyond just the accuracy. And I, and I know that, you know, you have, um, you know, your strong feelings that, uh, certainly Stidham has an NFL caliber arm. Uh, but what makes him different than the pick of, uh, Danny Etling in the seventh round last year?
1: Yeah. I think that that's where you got to start is that. Stidham has some serious arm talent. Like I wouldn't say that it's an elite arm. It's not as good as, you know, let's say like Kyler Murray's, you know, that's why he went number one overall, but he has an NFL arm that is better in every way pretty much than what Danny Etling has. Danny Etling reminds me a lot more in, and not necessarily playing style wise, but I'm just talking about talent level as like an early Brian Hoyer or Matt Castle. You know, a guy that has enough to be an NFL backup, you know, maybe a team like those two guys, if he develops down the road, might take a chance on starting him to see what they can get out of him. But I highly doubt it.
0: Well, the other thing, and and I know Bill Belichick noted this uh, towards the uh, end of the playoff run and after the Super Bowl, um, it kind of leaked out that um, Danny Etling does a really good job running the scout team. Yes. And that – value, at least with the Patriots and Belichick and Josh McDaniels, should not be underestimated.
1: Yeah, so actually, you know, quick story on that. I actually, you know, looked into some of that down at LSU after they drafted him because I had heard that, and he is apparently like an Oscar-winning actor when it comes to running the scout team, and what I mean by that is that he gets everything down. He turns into like a method actor, and he is absolutely turns into the opposing team's quarterback. The that's invaluable. Is, that to me, ca- uh, yeah. not to
0: interrupt you, that is no, just so invaluable. Uh, because Belichick, how many times have we sat there in press conferences and, and heard him say, well, it's just so hard to replicate speed or replicate the moves that a particular yeah. wide receiver or running back does? Well, if you can do that at the quarterback position, that's got to be incredibly invaluable.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the cadences, the the speaking, uh, you know, he learns the, the other team's playbook and, and kind of makes the calls at the line of scrimmage like the quarterback would that they're going to face. And he's also not, a you know, he's a, a pretty good athlete for the position. You know, we saw that long run that he had against the Giants in the preseason, and I, I know that it was wide open for him, but he still ran it, oh, I think over 70 yards for a touchdown on an NFL field. So that's not, you know, so easy to do. And, uh, and, and so he has the ability to kind of mock or, you know, and, and emulate both mobile quarterbacks and pocket passers. So he might not be, you know, a starting caliber quarterback in the league, but as a backup, uh, he's a smart kid that has that ability to run the scout team. It, it sounds to me a lot like Brian Hoyer, who really got, I think, more credit or deserved more credit I should say for the Patriots performance in the Super Bowl against the Rams than he got because I talked to a lot of the defensive players after that game Devin McCourty uh J- his brother Jason Kyle Van Noy they all said that Hoyer did such a great job of mimicking what it is, the communication between Jared Goff and Sean McVeigh in the headset, and then checking into plays based off of that and getting them ready for that element of it, that they, it was like they were basically at practice during the game because of how good he, of a job he did.
0: Going back to Jared Stidham, do you want my, yeah.
1: uh, my,
0: uh, 10 cent, uh, wacky, zany theory on why the yeah. Patriots picked him in the fourth round? Absolutely. So, to me, he's not a seventh rounder. He's not a clear, you know, uh scout team quarterback, uh, Brian Hoyer, in the waiting. Nor is um Jarrett Stidham a first, second round threat to Tom Brady. What, yes. I, what I mean by that is it's kind of clear in the fourth round with Stidham having the definite need to develop some serious uh elite NFL quarterbacking skills or s- develop some skills that's going to make him an NFL starting quarterback. Tom Brady's not going to feel threatened in the next 2 years. I I don't think. Now Tom Brady wouldn't feel threatened maybe period, but you did hear the stories about him and Jimmy Garoppolo and kind of what it turned into in years 2 and 3 with Garoppolo around and you know there there started to become this tension and I don't think there's going to be that tension with Stidham, right?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that's a good point. You know, the the guy that I compared Stidham to just in terms of, again, talent level, not playing style, was more like a Jacoby Brissett, a player that has some capabilities, has an NFL arm, you know, for sure, has some good football IQ and mental processing on his tape. But in terms of being the successor or a long-term starter – Probably not, but he's worth, uh, of a, you know, third or fourth round pick to take the chance and see what you can kind of get out of him and see how far you, you can get along with him. Obviously the Patriots kind of gave up on Brissett, but Brissett ended up going to Indianapolis and then in the starts that he had, they didn't win ga- very many games, but he wasn't a complete disaster. And I, I think that that's kind of, you know, where they're going with this is this is a nice chance at, on Stidham to see what they can get out of him. And maybe they, you know, hit lightning in the pan like they did with Brady. But at the same time, you know, like you said, it's not a direct threat. This isn't them drafting. If they had drafted Will Greer in the third round, that to me is a direct threat. You know, that's a guy that fits the bill of everything that the Patriots look for and in a lot of ways reminded me a lot of Jimmy. Uh, so that, I think, would have been something that Brady would have noticed. This one, I agreed that he's probably not going to notice.
0: Yeah, so you kind of agree with me that yeah. – I mean, you go out and get – well, let's say – let's take an extreme example. If they had moved up and taken Dwayne Haskins,
1: which they
0: could have done. I mean, they had the ammunition to do that. If they had done that, how do you think Tom would have responded to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that on one hand, he's the ultimate competitor. So – on the one hand, he would, I'm sure, you know, just want to kick his butt and practice a whole lot. But on the other hand, you know, I, I think that he wants to go out on his terms and, and he wants to be able to kind of decide that. And by drafting a quarterback, you know, in the first round especially, that's certainly pushing the timeline. You know, like you're if you draft a quarterback in the first round, like a Dwayne Haskins, like your example, then that's the next guy. You know, and whether it's a year or two years, the time, the clock is officially ticking. And, uh, and this one does not, you know, start that clock.
0: All right. Why has Tom Brady not received his uh, contract extension?
1: So I think that there's, there's some confusion on this one about a potential, uh, date in August because they reworked his contract last year by NFL rules. I'm pretty sure you can't rework a contract. Twice in the same year. So I think that they can still sign him to, uh, technically sign him to some form of an extension by kind of ripping up this contract and giving him a whole new one. But if they want to tack years onto this contract, I'm pretty sure that they have to wait to August to get that done. So there's that element to it. I also think that there's an element of we know we're going to get it done. And he's on vacation or training, you know, off with Alex Guerrero somewhere and, you know, to really get him in the building, sign the deal in the middle of May is really, or April is not really our top priority right now because we know it's going to get done. Yeah. The so third- then again,
0: so, so there's no real reason for any drama uh, amongst Patriots fans as to why, um, during or before free agency or before the draft, uh, the Patriots didn't aggressively pursue knocking down that twenty-seven million dollar cap number.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the interesting thing about you know not to get into a whole free agency discussion, but I would say that you know I, I don't want to ever call the Patriots unprepared because that's just foolish because we know that Bill Belichick is one sure. of the best prepares you know preparation guys in the league, but. I think free agency this year hit them pretty fast. They had just won the Super Bowl. I think that this Super Bowl, uh, maybe, you know, the Atlanta one was certainly, obviously, the comeback was just insane. But to kind of, you know, make up for last year against the Eagles, it, it was an emotional game, I would say, for a lot of reasons. And it kind of snuck up on them, I think. And they had a plan, but the plan was to aggressively go after Adam Humphreys, and and that thing kind of just didn't work out. And then they lost Trey Flowers and they lost Trent Brown. And then, you know, they kind of forced Gronk's hand to make Gronk retire. The timeline, I guess, of events is kind of what I'm saying. Like, doesn't exactly match up. You know, like, I feel like they, if they had really, you know, demanded a decision from Gronk and wanted to get Brady's extension done to get that cap number done to give themselves some more cap space, that those would have been, like, forward-thinking kind of patriot-like moves and they didn't really do that so i don't know if it was out of respect for those guys or out of respect for gronk to give him time to wait or what the case may be but it did seem like free agency almost kind of snuck up on them this year
0: well i'm glad and we're talking with evan lazar of clns media follow him on twitter at e-z-l-a-z-a-r um that leads us right into the subject that I want to wrap up on, and we talked about this uh, before uh, we started recording here, and that is the windows of opportunity to roster build in the NFL and why that matters uh, when you're building depth at certain positions. For instance, Jacob Hollister traded to Seattle, uh, and now it appears that the Patriots, you know, it's Austin, Safari, and Jenkins, and... Um, Now, let me bring it up as a matter of fact because I don't want to speak out of turn here. But it's Austin, Stavarian, Jenkins, Matt Lacoste, Steven Anderson, and Ryan Izzo, right? And then the NFL Europe uh, guy, Jacob Johnson. And that's it. It, it, uh,
1: They did sign Andrew Beck as an undrafted free agent that I haven't gotten around to study yet. But there is, you know, as far as undrafted free agents go, there's a little bit of buzz about him.
0: Okay, very good. Fair enough. Uh, But your point about... Um, these uh, windows of opportunity to roster build um, and what Nick Casario said over the weekend about it.
1: Yeah. So I, I refer to it as you as kind of like in comparison to European soccer where they have these transfer windows where they can make player moves and and there's player movement. And in the NFL, I kind of look at it as there's like four windows of opportunity to acquire players. And we can start, you know, in the beginning of the league year with free agency and there's the draft. Then there's a, a sweet spot for the Patriots in recent memory. And that is right after the fourth preseason game before the start of the regular season they've made trades in the past for guys like Philip Dorsett, for example, in that little window where roster cutdowns are happening. Teams are kind of making decisions on guys. uh Maybe they're going to cut them. So maybe you can kind of give up, you know, less to get them or whatever the case may be. It's just a time where there's a lot of player transactions and player movement. And then there's the deadline, the trade deadline, obviously November 1st. I, I think it is again this year, like it was last year. So those are kind of the four windows. They've, Already gotten past two of them, but right before the season and the trade deadline, you know, they haven't done, they didn't do anything at the deadline last year, but those are two very prime windows of opportunity to acquire another tight end. You know, just as an example, I can give two names for you. Let's say in Minnesota, Irv Smith Jr., who they just drafted out of Alabama, who I'm sure Patriots fans know all about from, you know, pre-draft preparation, he, takes it by storm and he's the guy that they think he is and he can be the starting tight end year one in Minnesota's offense. Well then maybe Kyle Rudolph becomes really expendable for them. Maybe they don't want to wait until they want to wait until they see Irv Smith in the Vikings uniform in training camp to make that call. And then they decide they're comfortable and they move Rudolph. Maybe in uh, Tampa Bay, they decide in an offense uh by Bruce Arians that's really only eleven personnel most of the time. They really only use one tight end, that O.J. Howard or Cameron Brait is expendable. Probably I would lean towards Brait, certainly, given the fact that they drafted O.J. Howard in the first round not too long ago. That's a possible trade, you know, target for the Patriots at tight end. But I think the main thing is, you know, for me, is that there's also the option, which I think is probably the most realistic option, of simply just devaluing the tight end position in the offense. And what I mean by that is you adapt to your personnel. You don't have Rob Gronkowski anymore. There isn't another Rob Gronkowski out there. So you draft Nikhil Harry in the first round. You still have Julian Edelman. You draft Damian Harris in the third So now you have really a loaded backfield, one of the deepest backfields at the NFL with Michelle James White, Burkhead, and now Damian Harris. So you just allocate those resources that you had with Gronkowski, you kind of share the load among all the other positions, and the tight end position becomes mostly a spot for a blocker, and whatever receiving yards you get from Austin Safarian Jenkins or Matt Lacoste are kind of a bonus. So to speak, just like a lot of the times the receiving yards that you got from Chris Hogan last year were kind of a bonus. So I think that that's kind of where it's headed. I, I know a lot of people want to talk about, well, what if Josh Gordon comes back or what if Demarius Thomas works out? And obviously those things are possibilities. But I, again, I'm, Trax, I don't know about you, but I'm not counting on Josh Gordon at all.
0: Nope. I, I'm uh, not either and you know if they it's icing on the cake if they get it but look i mean there's too much history there to have an expectation certainly going into the season that he's going to be able to be significantly productive for you
1: yeah and i think a lot of you know older patriots fans and even younger patriots fans like me that have you know been diehard followers of the team for long enough can remember back to the first part of the dynasty when they won three out of four Super Bowls. Who was the tight end then? You know, who was who was the guy that they were throwing? Well, Christian passes?
0: Fourier, for one.
1: Yeah, but Christian Fourier was not Rob Gronkowski, is my no. point. Yeah, you know? correct. And then, and then there Daniel Graham and Ben Watson, those are all nice players, but those guys are not anywhere near on the level of Rob Gronkowski. So at one point in time, this offense did run a lot of the time through the wide receivers and the running backs and I think that that's kind of where we're headed back to, and that's it, it, you can score touchdowns in a lot of ways.
0: What are you going to be doing now that the draft is over?
1: Well, I actually uh, got, just got off the phone a few hours ago with Nikhil Harry's wide receivers coach at Arizona State. So, uh, Coach Fisher and I had a really good conversation about Nikhil, uh, just kind of what the type of person he is and, and also the player, obviously. And, and some of the things, you know, just quickly that, that stood out to me about some of the things that he said were, for starters, he just talked about how well respected, uh, Nikhil is in the Arizona area because he's a local kid. He went to Chandler High School in Arizona and he had, FBS offers from pretty much every big school in the country. Uh, he was one of the most highly recruited receivers in his class at a high school, and he could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to Ohio State. He could have gone to Alabama, Texas, USC, and he decided to stay in his home state of Arizona and play at Arizona State to play for his hometown crowd and play, you know, around his family and all that kind of stuff. You and, play
0: to win the game.
1: And eventually play for Herm Edwards, yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that, you know, just listening to Coach Fisher talk about the type of guy that they're getting, he said, you know, he's a very engaging, uh, person. He has a big smile on his face all the time and, and he's kind of an infectious attitude. And the other thing that he pointed out just from a makeup standpoint was the amount of times in the season that Coach Fisher coached him last year that Nikhil Harry stepped up in the biggest moment in big games. You know, when the team really needed a play, he was the guy that was constantly making the plays. And, uh, whether it was against USC, he was the example that he used where he made that one-handed catch that I think everybody's probably seen by now yep. to kind of put them over the top in that game and, uh, and kind of clinch the victory for him. So he's kind of a rise to the challenge, you know, type of guy. And, uh, the, but the player comparison that he made, you know, just the final point is, was Anquan Bolden. And he said that he knows that Herm Edwards, Made the comparison to Des Bryant, but that he reminds him more, Nikhil does, of Anquan Bolden because of his ability to play both in the slot and on the perimeter and his ability to create yards after the catch for a big receiver. And I think that one of the things that a lot of people have talked about as kind of a knock on him is that he's only a four, five, two, four, five, three guy, which is not lightning fast. You know, he's not running in the four threes or something like that. But Coach Fisher said that, you know, you could test him in the 40, but he plays much faster than he tested in the 40, that he has what he called competitive speed, which is, you know, basically just when the butch lights are on and he's on the field, and he's got the ball in his hands, he's a whole lot faster than he's going to be at, in spandex at the combine in the 40. So all those things I think, you know, are probably music to Patriots fans' ears. And I, I agree, you know, I think that you would agree, Trags, that if they get Anquan Bolden out of this guy, then that's a really good draft pick.
0: I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank, as always, our great guest, uh, and colleague, of course, Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots for CLNS and tolerating me and Alex Barth, uh, throughout the 2019. 2019- Draft down at Gillette Stadium. It was a blast. I got to tell you, uh, yeah, Evan, it any, really was. Anytime I can be the third man in and mm-hmm. tape you to uh, having <laughs> draft discussions for over five minutes, uh, count me in because I'm. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, I really was, enjoyed was, that. I'm glad it was really. It was a ton of fun. For us, I mean, a lot of hard work obviously went into it. I studied over 200 prospects in this draft and, you know, tried to lock down pretty much everybody that had even a chance to go in the first two days. And uh, with the Patriots having so many picks in in those first two days, and uh, it was a lot of fun and. I really think that they had a really good draft. I know a lot of people are probably questioning the cornerback pick and the running back pick with, uh, Juwan Williams and Damon Harris, but those are two guys that I think are going to be instant contributors for this team. So even if you don't think that they need those positions, it just makes the team better when you get good football players and, you know, iron grinds iron or whatever that saying is. So, um, iron you know,
0: sharpens iron.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, You're you know, when Damian Harris is competing with Sony Michelle and Jawan Williams is competing with JC Jackson, you know, that just makes those guys better. And, uh, and it makes the whole, whole team better. So even if it's not a tight end or it's not another receiver, I think that they did well. And I, I think some of the guys they got an undrafted free agency too, uh, specifically Jacoby Myers from NC state, who's a receiver has a chance to probably make the roster as well. Um, Kind of got maybe a second receiver that they liked that maybe had a draftable grade, but it just didn't come to fruition in the draft, uh, in un- undrafted free agency, which we know they've had success with.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of an undrafted free agent making the Patriots and uh, <laughs> making an instant contribution, obviously. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic here. Yeah. <laughs> um, We have gone on almost 40 minutes. Can you believe that, Evan? And you know what? Yeah, I
1: can because this is what I do.
0: (laughs) I could go on another 40 minutes. I won't, but I could. Um, Give me 30 seconds on what you think of all of these grades because I'm going to tell you I think a lot of it's silliness because you have no idea how these players are going to pan out, not even the Patriots do, uh, until you get them on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, I obviously – you know. I'm not going to do any draft grades. You know, I'm not going to grade the Patriots draft. I'm going to grade any of their picks. I think the biggest thing is is just that you know, in the moment, you can kind of you know make a decision based off of your knowledge of of these prospects. Of in the moment, was that the right guy at the right pick? You know, right now, what we know based off of the college game and and what all these guys are playing now, obviously. I think the big one, you know, for example, is Jawan Williams, who the Patriots didn't need another corner, right? And a lot of people that do these draft grades might say Jawan Williams is a good player, but they had other needs and that that was not one of them. And that's all well and good, but the Patriots scouting department fell in love with him. They met with him twice. Bill Belichick met with him in a private uh, meeting himself and actually worked them out privately and that doesn't happen too often. That Belichick himself is in a, at one of those private workouts, you know, right. hands on, actually working out with the kids. So they fell in love with the player. Then almost took him, They almost took him at 32. So if they like him that much, then in this game you gotta trust your scouts. You gotta trust your what your process is, and you gotta trust your your eyes, and you gotta go for it. Because if you don't, then, and you just kind of pick chalk and pick what, you know, the positions of need and the players that you're supposed to pick based on Mel Kuiper's big board or something like that, that, that's how GMs get fired. So I think that they went with the players, uh, the first five or six guys, you know, ending with, uh, Yelda Froholt there in the fourth round that they wanted. Those were those, those were their guys and those were guys that they scouted and believed in. And I think that's all you can ask for really, because none of us know, you know, they don't know for certain either, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I know more than Bill Belichick and Nick Casario when it comes to scouting, you know, draft prospects. So their eyes are better than mine and let's see what happens. You know, Um I think that that's really the biggest thing, but, you know, making the decision in the moment of, you know, should they have drafted Nikhil Harry or should they have drafted A.J. Brown, you know. I guess you could come to some conclusion based off of what you studied, but no one actually knows.
0: That's why we have you on Evan, because you know, (laughs) you don't know what Bill Belichick and Nick Casario know.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can just listen to it. Like I really enjoyed talking to Nick Casario, uh, you know, or having him talk to us really for the three days of the draft after the, all the picks that they made, because he's, you know, it's, it's, Different from Belichick, obviously, because he hasn't been around the game for as long as Belichick. But you can still send some of the bill in him. Like you, you you can tell who his mentor was, you know, that kind of thing. And he is a really, you know, astute and, and really smart football mind and sharp, just mind in general. You know, just his IQ must be ridiculous. So I think that that's like, you know, it was really cool to talk to him and hear what he had to say about their process and how they kind of go about all these things.
0: Well it's been a pleasure having you on Evan as always obviously we'll be having you on throughout uh the off season uh, several more times to talk about what the Patriots are doing in the OTAs rookie uh mini rookie mini camp is coming up then, of course, you'll be following uh the Patriots uh during their OTAs, their regular mini camp, training camp, and then the preseason, of course, the regular season. Uh it's just so much to talk about, and I can't wait to do it. Uh with you, Evan Lazar. Uh, follow him on Twitter at E Z L A Z A R. For producer Mike Alonji, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by Seal on S Media.